We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Come on! WGR Sports Radio 550 presents... I was driving, listening, guys. What are they talking about? Sports Talk Saturday. You guys are doing an outstanding job. (laughs) Taking those calls. I was doing an outstanding job not crashing my Jeep into the street listening to these people. <laughs> On WGR. You guys need a raise. You guys need a raise. Sports Radio 550. I see no lies. That was the last time I was in here on a Saturday. <clears throat> that was the day you had to. You had September to miss. 08? Oh, wow. No, not that long ago. Well, it was a couple weeks ago. Oh, okay. It was the bye week. Mm, Yes, I was uh, not here. What was I doing on the bye week? You were taking pictures on a golf course. Mm. Which, that's different how than normal, but... It is undifferent than most of my my life. Welcome in, everybody. Welcome to Sports Talk Saturday. Nick Geary, Derek Kramer, here with you for the next three hours. I do what I do. I've got some guests here for you. Maddie Glab's going to join us at 1130, talk a little Bills Jaguars. We've got Matt Perino, New York Upstate, joining me in the noon hour. We'll talk a little bit about uh, Usman Covington tonight. We'll talk a little bit of more about the Bills and Jaguars, Aaron Rodgers, Odell Beckham Jr., uh, 12.30, Hayes Carley, and he uh, is a Jaguars beat reporter over at the Jaguars flagship 1010XL in Jacksonville. He'll join us 12.30, 1 o'clock. Pete Smith of SI covers the Cleveland Browns. We'll talk more OBJ uh, throughout the afternoon. And, and just so you know, I, I do plan on telling everyone how they're wrong about Odo Beckham Jr. So uh, before I do that, I wanted to take a little uh, a little moment to congratulate my alma mater, Frontier, uh, Frontier High School, yesterday. Had the great opportunity to finally um, get back to the stadium uh, for the first time since they got their new facilities in place, the turf. Uh, that place was rocking uh, a certain special kind of way. I, I, I was mentioning it to a former teacher of mine when I was at the game yesterday. I was only able to catch the first half. Derek, the first half included back-to-back kickoff returns for touchdowns for Frontier. I don't think I've ever seen that happen, much less in a playoff game. But in consecutive kickoffs, like 85, 90-yard returns, back-to-back. That that just sounds demoralizing. One with 18 seconds, like the end of the half. That sounds demoralizing yeah. on the other side. Like. Oh, 100%. But um, uh, there was a couple of people I wanted to, to mention and part of the coaching staff that were part of the coaching staff when I was there 11 years ago. Um, God, you're old. I am. Um 
you know, I mean, Coach Joe Fasciana, who is uh, I'm still very close with, um, Jim Steffen, who was my JV coach, who I know is up there coaching some of the offense, and 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 Coach Rich Gray, who um, I think is one of the finest head coaches in Western New York, and Coach Gray uh, was my head coach back in 2009. That was his last season um, as head coach at Frontier, and then he took over as the athletic director, and has still been the athletic director this this whole time since I've you know been in college and went to you know did the college thing, and here I am is a almost 30 something year old and he made his kind of return back to the sidelines um now that his kids have gotten a little bit older and he's he's able to to re sort of commit himself um and I think it just goes to show you how much good coaching matters for young players I mean you know Frontier was a program that that had really struggled for the better part of um you know the, the last decade since I left, you know, our team was the first team in 30 years at the time to make the playoffs. 2013 was the last time they made it to the the Ralph, now Highmark Stadium. Um, so 2013 being the last time, Frontier will make its first trip to Highmark Stadium since 2013. They'll take on Jamestown for the Class A Championship on Friday night, 8 o'clock. Um, I'm going to do my best to get there. I might have to do some finagling. I got my normal podcast duties at 9 p.m., but um, what an awesome experience it was to sort of see those stands filled again and to see students, teachers, alumni all kind of coming back to where it all started. Um, but I, I think it starts and finishes with, with Coach Gray, and, and I know the program's really lucky to have him back. And um, I couldn't be prouder of the program and, and, and of Coach. Um, I think it just goes to show you he's he's one of the best coaches in Western New York, and, and I'm glad he's back on the sidelines. I know he's glad to be back on the sidelines. Um, and uh, I couldn't be a, a more proud alum this morning, uh, having beaten the brakes off the Hamburg Bulldogs, who, by the way, Love the Hamburg program. Athletic director Pat Cauley, love him to death. But I mean, I I grew up, you know, as a blue and black, and I hate I hate purple and white. So watching uh, watching my boys last night stomp out uh, the Hamburg Bulldogs uh, in in a game that really really mattered, uh, getting back to the stadium uh, was about as sweet as you could get. So. Um, I don't know what bulldog tastes like, uh, but I imagine uh, you know. I imagine I I I would want to cook up some bulldog at this point. Yeah, not not Chris bulldog, because we like that. That would that would be inhumane. I was gonna say, should I call Chris? Not right not, now? not the bulldog. Uh, <laughs> don't cook up any bulldog. No, we no, did yesterday. No dogs. We did yesterday. We we cooked him up yesterday <laughs> on the field, of course. Uh, but yeah, uh, great win for Frontier. I, they ended up running away with it. I, I I left at halftime, and it was twenty to fourteen. After I mentioned to you, Derek, two two kick return touchdowns um, in that first half. So it was uh, great to see. Um, and I was it was awesome when I was on Food for Thought, and I. Uh, uploaded the the old Twitter feed to see the final score. I was really excited about that. So uh, go Falcons, and, and good luck next week against Jamestown. And uh, listen, they had two losses on the season, Frontier. They lost to Hamburg in the, in, in the last week of the Ooh, year so and revenged revenge. that loss. Their other loss was Jamestown. So they'll have an opportunity to sort of exact revenge against the two teams that beat them in the regular season, um, and I'm uh, I'm really looking forward to that. If, I, if I'm not going to be there, I'm certainly going to be watching um, – on Spectrum, so I'll be and, uh, and I'll good be luck to all that. the teams that'll be out yes, there. good luck to all of them, always... but, but mostly uh, Lancaster also made it made it back to the stadium. Uh, even though Lancaster was a big rival of mine growing up, um, I mean, same here. It was just probably you probably 
beat him. I'm just a big fan of of athletic director, and and I believe he's still the head coach, Eric Rupp. Um, I think he's also one of the best coaches in Western New York, and and put together an unbelievable program over the last decade in Lancaster too. So, uh, congratulations to all those teams. I know I believe. Did I see Amherst also potentially made it? Um, so, so several other teams making it to Highmark Stadium next week. And, um, you know, as someone who got to play in a Western New York playoff game, we got, you know, we got pounded out by the, at the time, uh, went on to be the state champion North Tonawanda Lumberjacks. Uh, they, they definitely took a beating to us. But as a guy that got to play in a playoff game, I, I can't even imagine what it's going to be like playing um, at Highmark Stadium. So I'm really excited for uh, for the Frontier uh, program to, to experience that again for the second time in a decade. Um, and uh, I'm just overall very excited. So so proud of that program. Coach Fash, Coach Gray, Coach Stefan, uh, congrats, guys. And uh, really looking forward to, uh, to watching you guys carry a... Uh, a, 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 not maybe hopefully a state championship, but we'll, we'll at least take a section championship as well. All right, so for me, I gotta shift some gears here because what, Derek? Sometimes I'm thankful my show's on Saturday because it gives us like, you know, six days roughly of absolute chaos to unfold and for me to have storylines to talk about. Really allows you to pick what you want to focus on and like really take the time to not have to just like shoot off the hip. Sure and. Uh, chaos, chaos. Derek. Yeah, I Derek. Mean, this week was chaos in the NFL. Not even just in the NFL. Like there was something big that happened here too. There was, but big things that happen every single day, every everywhere across the league, across the NFL. The Eichel trade, so much Eichel to go trade, over. But like, right, the Eichel trade. <laughs> <laughs> right, uh, the whole Henry Ruggs thing. Right, Odell Beckham Jr., Aaron Rodgers, the trade deadline. I mean. It was it was it was a week. This week was drunk. Right. Von Miller got traded Dron- to the Von Rams. Von Miller got traded to the a, Rams. And that's a hidden story at this point. Yeah, you're right. It's it's just been a wild week. This week got some uh, stupid juice. Stupid juice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. I'm going to start with Odell Beckham. Cuz I'm going to finish with Odell Beckham later on. So I feel like a starting with him makes sense because I want to talk with Matt Perino about more about Aaron Rodgers. So we'll talk about that at uh, at noon with Matt Perino, New York Upstate. I want to talk a little bit about Odo Beckham because the collective goalposts that are moved in the conversation and narrative around o- Odell Beckham Jr. is puzzling, absolutely puzzling. Um, I don't quite understand Derek what it is that people hate so much about Odo Beckham. Did you notice that too? It- it happens when, and this is not just an Odell Beckham thing. If it was, then I would be able to look at this and go, it's the player. No, it's just something that happens to players in the NFL that are outspoken, that are passionate, that try to put their personality out there on their sleeve. And Odell Beckham Jr. is the latest example of all of this. Was there a very ugly scene early in his career? Absolutely. The Josh Norman game with him was just... The worst that you could see in a professional athlete. But he did work to fix that problem, fix that image. And he's still a very good player. Yes, very, very good player. This whole thing, though, is... I, uh, I don't know how to like properly describe this. There's no off-field issue with him. I've got something to help you describe this. I just... I the don't same understand. people, Derek that want to call him a diva because he 
pushed over a kicking net one time. Andy dances when he scores touchdowns. He's emotional. He's, he's distracting. Uh, wait, here's my favorite one. He makes it about him, right? He just makes out. It's all about Odell. That that that's what people say. They're the same people that tweet and complain that the NFL is is ruining the game because it's not fun and they don't let players dance after first downs and it's taunting. These taunting penalties are ruining the game. Those same people that say you should be able to have fun when you do things right. When you score a touchdown, you should be able to kick the ball into the stands and not be fined $25,000. And when you run over a guy, you should be able to stand over him and let him know that you ran him over. Those same people want to tell you that dancing and being mad that your team is terrible because he's played for the two worst franchises over the last two decades in football. But no way, no way do those franchises wear any of the blame here. This is all on Odell. Odell's worn out his welcome in both places. That's what I heard. Was it Odell wearing out his welcome? Was that is that really true? Because I don't think so. Because I, if I guarantee you, both teams... Would love to have the talent of Odell Beckham. Guess what? The Browns, go watch any of the uh, resources available to you on the internet. Seth Galina, Pro Football Focus, did a fantastic breakdown of what has gone wrong. Jake Trotter, ESPN, covers the covers the Browns. Did a great piece, I posted about it, about the things that he, the guy that Odell is in the locker room, that the media, that the fans don't see, seemingly is notably different then the Odell Beckham that everyone tries to paint the picture of who he is. He's a bad guy. He's a distraction. He's selfish. He's all about him. That just couldn't... The, the reality is that couldn't be further from the truth of and, the type of player that he is. He's an elite-level player. He's an elite-level teammate. And this is where it's all perplexing to me. Um, all he has to do is just speak up and say, my dad was just a little wacky with this. Uh, that's all he had to do to fix pretty much any of that. But now it's a story because of it, and he became a distraction because of it. I don't, and that's why I don't know where to put my, like, I know this is part of he gets buried for no reason sometimes. Yes. This is one of those instances, I think, that if he says something instead of saying nothing, it allows him to control the narrative again. Instead, his silence spoke for him which is something you don't want ever to have happen is for anything to speak for you. You always want to be able to speak for yourself and make it about what you think. However, when he said nothing, that did unfortunately speak volumes. That's why I'm confused about this. Here's another thing, right? And and some Because uh, that piece on ESPN, you're absolutely right. Like it showcases how he tries to reach out and be connective with teammates. And isn't it funny that all of the reports about him being a he does nothing, he talks to no one, he has a malcontent attitude. Interesting that that's an unnamed player. Oh yeah, of course. It's always got to be but, anonymous. You don't put your you don't put your source. All to that. of the players who are willing to put their name to it all agree. John Johnson the third, a very important player in the Cleveland Browns organization. We take him back in an instant. So players who will actually put their names to this Baker. stuff. Baker Mayfield. Baker legit just legit says, if there's anything that if he comes back, and I could do anything to work with him, I'm gonna do it, and that says something too. The problem with this story alone, and I'm trying to put it in this scope only, 
I'm trying to forget everything with the Giants and everything about the narrative prior to him is he just needed to say something to make it a heck of a lot easier on him. That's it to me. All he had to do was say something, anything. But he didn't. Yeah, but it's not his job. It's not his job, but... It's also listen because like some, I said, it because helps a you. fan because a fan posted a video on YouTube and his dad agreed with it. What is he supposed to do? Go out and tell his tell everybody his dad's an idiot? No, he's just supposed no. to say I don't speak for my dad. Right? Or he could do what he, do what he did, which is say nothing and not be try to not be a distraction. Or either way, Odell Beckham has said and done nothing. I th- and again, that's where I think the unfortunate part of this is. When he said nothing, unfortunately for him, it meant something else to others. My favorite thing is I- I'm-, I'm in the middle of a Twitter argument, right, uh, about Odell Beckham. And this guy's telling me that I am picking and choosing quotes and I'm not providing the full context. While he's literally picking and choosing different quotes to combat the quotes that I'm bringing. So it's just like... And that's what makes so, this whole thing weird. It's just disingenuous is what it is. And I don't understand. I don't know if there's a level of racial undertones here. Because if you look at these people, if you look at the guys that tend to get clouded under the diva, how come nobody talks about Tom Brady as a diva? Slamming his helmet on the sidelines, cussing, yelling at his teammates. Nobody calls Tom Brady a diva. Mm-hmm. Not, I've never heard him once characterize as that. But God forbid. Oh, I had I, I you know how many people tweeted back at me, the net, Nate. What about the net? What about the net? What it about it? Hang on. The net exacted to revenge right away. It hit him. So the net, that's done. He already learned very quickly not to hit the net. Why? Because it hit him back. I again I'm trying to I'm trying the best I can to isolate it to just this thing. Because the net is brought up. Or the Josh Norman game is brought up. Or anything with the Giants. The boat picture. How the Giants have been terrible after the boat picture. Uh, it just... It's unfortunate that Beckham's silence doomed him here because of all those past things. Please don't make it about yourself, Odell. I, and I, by the way, I agree with you. But it's just funny. Please don't make things about yourself, Odell. Also, how come you won't come out this and make this about yourself? Yeah, <laughs> it is the most bass backwards. It's the double thing that sword. I've ever heard of any player. The hypocrisy is mind melting. It's mind numbing to listen to some of these narratives. It's disingenuous. Uh, it's not based in good faith. And whatever it is, Odell Beckham Jr. should be. He's a Hall of Fame talent that has been underutilized and underappreciated in both organizations he went to. And the I think the real common denominator is the embarrassing organizations that he's been a part of. The Browns won 11 games last year, and now all of a sudden they're the Patriots. Yeah, They're I, a joke still. And the, uh, this is coming from one of the primary defenders yeah, of the try. Cleveland Browns for, for the last five years. I I like Cleveland. I, I think that they built a really nice program there. I, they, they shouldn't be getting the... They should be getting the benefit of the doubt here. They didn't. He didn't wear out his welcome. They didn't throw him the football. Their quarterback couldn't figure out how to throw to him open. He changed. Seth Galina proved he changed his route running so that it could better fit Baker Mayfield's style. 
He runs in an offense that doesn't utilize his skill set. He gets put on the backside of three-by-one sets, is the fourth read on a lot of plays, and even when he's on a play-side situation, he doesn't get thrown to. And then you go back to New York. You're kidding. The Giants are a joke. Passes prime Eli Manning. They're a joke. Yeah, passes prime Eli Manning. That's... And, and Dave Gettleman. Yeah, Dave Gettleman building a roster. Like, that's what he had break. to deal with there. I Again, unfortunately for him, some of that stuff is following him from New York. And this is where he's getting released. But this is also a statement of this, Nate. Not all talent is built equal. There has to be the right system, the right coaching in Ask place. Ask Stephon Diggs. Exactly. All that stuff that people say about Stephon Diggs. Oh, I wonder, salty Vikings fans. I wonder what Stephon Diggs' career looks like if he goes to the Cleveland Browns and is running backside dig routes and go routes to play sides and is essentially a decoy and an off. I wonder how that goes. I wonder if in a five-point game in a, against a division rival that you have one target, how you would feel about that. Yeah, it's, it's just it. Give me a break. Every single good quality receiver would look at that situation, and they are, by the way. That's why you hear LeBron, Damian Lillard, all these other professional athletes coming to the defense of Odell Beckham Jr. because the Browns have misused him. They they have a system that utilizes two fifteen million plus dollar running backs, but can't find a way to use one of the best receivers of the era. Yeah, and it's, again, part of coaching does matter. It's always going to matter when you're trying to fit talent. You can immediately turn back and go, look at what the Bills quarterback situation became. Uh, That's one of the biggest reasons, is the coaching and the system that was put in place for Josh Allen to develop. The same thing happens at any position with any player ever. Odell Beckham would thrive if he wasn't playing for an offense that relies on the running game that relied on the running game in his offense in Minnesota, which drove Stephon Diggs crazy. It's like if you're a receiver under Kevin Stefanski, you're going to have a bad time. Yeah. Yeah. It... There's a lot. There's to... connections that people are ignoring. That's correct. That, right. It's just not an offense built to appease a number one wide receiver. By the way, give it two years before uh, Justin Jefferson wants out of Minnesota, unless they make a change at head oh, coach probably, in their system. Zimmer's probably getting fired. I mean, I, he should have been fired two years ago. So, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I, I Quarterbacks matter also in this. Not just scheme, not just coach. Quarterbacks matter. And let's not, let's not talk about Baker the same way we talk about Tua, which is, or even, or even Sam Darnold. Right, like Sam Darnold is finally in a situation where he's surrounded by some decent talent. Baker, almost from the outset, was supported. I know that there was a lot of in and out of the offensive coordinator and systems. I that is certainly of note. They went out and traded for Jarvis Landry. They went out and signed Austin Hooper. They drafted Nick Chubb. They signed Kareem Hunt. They have the best offensive line in football. They traded for Odell Beckham. When do I stop? They have an all-pro right guard. They have a number one pick left tackle. They have a former number one pick right tackle. They have the president of the Players Association and one of the one of the best centers in the league in J.C. Tr- like, he has the easiest system for quarterbacks in the league. 
He stinks. It's not even about that at this point either. Like, because you want to talk about Beckham and what there is to worry about with Beckham. And people are just pointing at the wrong things. And I think it's easy. People need to remember to look at situations sometimes in a scope by itself, which again still confuses me about this situation with the Browns by itself. But the player gets to move on, the team gets to move on. And I think all parties will be better because of it. It's be- good for the Browns in this instance for realizing that they need to let Beckham go, let him go to a place that will benefit him, and they can get that cap hit off their books. Beckham wins, the Browns win. Good job at least looking at that instead of in the petty eyes of, oh, this player doesn't want to be here for a rebuild. We're going to make things difficult during yeah. the trade process. Yeah. Also, by the way, I, I another thing I, I I saw is that that he oh way to drop this on Cleveland the day after the trade deadline. What? This has been brewing for two years. Every game they can't throw him the ball or complete a pass to him. This isn't him dropping it. It's it's just so disingenuous the takes on this and and. I just I'm I'm ready to put a foot down and I have and I will continue to do that. We'll talk with Pete Smith at one o'clock. He's uh, uh the covers the Browns for SI, so we'll 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 talk to him later on and try to figure out uh, exactly what happened, what's gone wrong, where things go from here in Cleveland in a disappointing 2021 campaign. I'm gonna take a timeout on the other side. Maddie Glab joins the program. Uh, she uh, she works for the Bills. She's on One Bills Live often. Uh, she sits next to me during home Bills games, so she gets to see just how crazy I am during Bills games. So we'll talk to Maddie. So she's the unfortunate soul. She she well, she actually sits between Steve Tasker and I. She my statement stands. She, poor girl. I mean, <laughs> Steve's crazier than me during games. But um, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll talk to Maddie Glab on the other side. Talk about this Bills Jaguars ma- matchup. Get her thoughts on Odell Beckham Jr. and the rest here across the league. Next on Sports Talk Saturday on WGR. It's a week-to-week league, and those guys get paid on that side of the football, too, and they're hungry for a win. When teams lose the way they did last week, they come out ready to go, and, you know, we don't expect anything less. Good morning. Welcome back to Sports Talk Saturday. Second segment of the 11 o'clock hour coming your way next. I've got Maddie Glab on the West Her Hotline. Of course, you know Maddie's voice. She uh, works for the Bills, Sabres, and Bandits, multimedia journalist. Uh, she's got a new podcast out this week, the Bills Pod Squad, with uh, with Diane Teresa, Teresa uh, holy cow, Diana, why can I not say her last name? Maddie, help me out here. Why, what, why, am, I, why am I not saying her name properly? Why am I having a total blank on it right now? Do we have Do we have Maddie? It's Rusini. Holy yeah. cow! Why did I, I wanted to say Tarasi? I don't know why I wanted to, and di, I, now I feel bad because Diana's like one of my favorite NFL reporters. All right. Well, now that I start off by by butchering Diana's name, uh, good morning, Maddie. Welcome to the show. I'm glad we finally got to do this. We've been sitting next to each other for Bills games this year, and I'm like, you know what? I got to have Maddie on, and then I just ruin your your guests. I ruin your promo for your for your uh, your podcast right off the bat. Hey, it's all right. It's it's Saturday, you know. It's, that's it's a weekend, so we're right. we're chilling. 
That is. Diana will forgive you. I promise you. That is right. It is Saturday. I guess I can have one <laughs> excuse there. Um, so obviously, Maddie, we go into a weekend. In fact, I kind of want to talk to you about a three-game block here because I don't know that there's like a lot of great storylines to this Jacksonville game because they're not very good. They've got a rookie quarterback, former number one pick. Like That'll be fun, I guess, to kind of watch play out and, and, and kind of see what he looks like in real time. Then you got the Jets and then the Colts. I saw Sale tweet this out that this is the 30th, the 31st, and 32nd best teams, you know, the three worst teams against the pass in the NFL. Like, what do you make of this stretch? Like, what are you planning on learning about the Bills, Maddie, in these next three games? And can you apply any of that to, like, when games get a little bit more difficult down the stretch? Yeah, I mean, I think I look at this three-game stretch. Of course, uh, we're playing teams who don't have too many wins in their win column. But I think when you get to opponents like that, and we saw it last week with the Miami Dolphins, they're going to try and throw things at the Bills that they haven't seen before because what do these teams have to lose? They don't have anything to lose at this point. Their, their road to the playoffs are, are non-existent right now, and so you're going to play teams who are thinking, you know what, let's mix it up. Let's try something dif- different to throw off the best offense in the NFL right now. And we saw that with Miami Dolphins with what they did against the Bills in the first half. The Bills – offense was not working they only put three points on the scoreboard and I mean up until last week's game the Bills in the first quarter in the first half actually have been pretty great um, at starting fast uh, they rank third in the NFL averaging 16.3 points per first half so it's not like this has been a problem for the Bills uh, the whole season it was last week where it was an issue putting only three points on the scoreboard and then they go into halftime and they're like okay what do we do here? And I think what they were able to do shows the NFL how good of a team they are. Sean McDermott said, you know, we had to spin the dial on offense, which means they had to try things that weren't necessarily in their playbook for this game. Uh, and they were able to successfully do so. Lean on a guy like Cole Beasley, uh, who had over 100 receiving yards in that game, and they scored 23 points in the second half. So I think in this stretch, what I want to learn about the Buffalo Bills and what I think we're going to learn is we're going to face some teams who, who may just think, let's do something different. Let's try and throw them off. Let's try and throw them off with different coverages that they're not used to seeing and see what we can do uh, against a quarterback like Josh Allen. So I, I'm looking for this offense to maybe face something that they haven't seen before and see how they respond. We saw how they responded against Miami Dolphins and a lot of people were upset of course about that first half but I look at that game being very proud of the team in the second half to see what they were able to do because look we go back to the AFC championship loss last year and that offense could not get going and it was because the Chiefs defense Mm. were playing them in ways that they hadn't been played before and so I love that they were able to be in a game like they were last week where some things were thrown at them that they weren't used to and they could work themselves out of that rut, out of that hole, because that's coming in the playoffs. And if they're not going to face it in the regular season, they're going to face it for the first time in the playoffs. So I'd rather see it now in the regular season and see how this team responds in situations like that. How much do you maybe want to contribute the the struggles in that first half last week to the opponent 
A, being a division rival, B, this being their second time facing each other in, what, like five weeks? And then you, you throw in the fact that you've got a franchise that's like up against the ropes here at one and six going into that football game. There's talks about firing the head coach. There's talks about replacing the quarterback they drafted in the first round a year ago with Deshaun Watson. Like all of those things, I, I got to feel play into the factor of, listen, we know when if you're a Bills fan, you know that this matchup, you sort of felt like, okay, 35 points. What's it going to be? How much are the Bills going to win by? And I think very early in this football game, it's almost like you heard warning signs in the week leading up. And I know we heard Coach McDermott and, and Josh Allen after that game kind of both say, this is sort of what you get when you play an opponent twice in five weeks. And then, like, all the things I just said. Like, how much maybe are you contributing to uh, to those factors? And, and do you believe there's maybe one factor that sticks out in your mind why the Bills, other than maybe a scheme or a matchup, but, but maybe just struggled out of the gates early? I also want to maybe point out, uh, Maddie, that, like, the bye week – I think maybe the bye week gets a weird rap as, as being this like, oh, you get an extra week to prepare for teams. The, the coaches do, certainly. The players were off all week. It's not like they were in the, you know, in the facilities here working out, grinding, watching film. This is a good opportunity for them to get away from the game for a little while and for get ready for the, for the stretch that is the second half. Maybe not just the first opponent after the bye week, right? Yeah, I think when you're facing a, a team in the AFC East that knows the Buffalo Bills well, I mean, these are teams that play the Buffalo Bills twice a season. Um, so they can prepare differently for a matchup against the Buffalo Bills than a team like the Jacksonville Jaguars, who who doesn't have to face the Bills every single year, let alone twice a year. So I think that definitely did uh, play into last week's game. I think another thing that played into last week's game was, of course, the shifting on the offensive line, which we, we could see that again this week. I mean, we will see that again this week without John Feliciano and Spencer Brown again in the lineup. I mean, it's going to be an opportunity for other guys to to fill in for the group but we'll see how they can start right away I think there's a little bit uh, slower of a start than some of us were expecting in the first half of that game but the offensive line was able to figure some things out in the second half and and help Josh Allen have a clean pocket so he could make moves uh, another thing the Miami Dolphins they had the best defense in the NFL last year at one point uh, leading up to that week 17 game that we played them at the end of the season. They were ranked number one on defense, and then the Bills hang 56 points on them. So it's not like that team has a bunch of nobodies. They have some guys. They just haven't figured out how to put it together. And, of course, when they're dealing – with things like the situation with Tua and, you know, is Deshaun Watson going to be traded to the Miami Dolphins? There's a lot of, a lot of things going on in Miami. I think that, that has held them back from being the team that they actually want to be. And, and when you look at the bye week, I mean, if the Bills were a younger team, they would definitely be practicing more during the bye week uh, than mm. they have in the last two years. This is a veteran team. This coaching staff believes in this group of guys, so they are awarded the week off. We know Sean McDermott. We know how tough of a coach he is. We know what he expects from his players. And if this team was in a position to where, hey, maybe two more practices would have really helped this, this group going into the week eight game coming off of the bye, they would have had those practices. Uh, but because the group is full of veterans, because this group uh, was four and two heading into the, heading into the bye week, um, they thought, hey, let, let's give them the week off. They deserve it. It is an earlier bye week. Um, so 
they'll want some breaks when they can get some breaks mm. down the road here. I think I look at the, the Saints game as being another opportunity to yep. get a, a nice short bye after that Thanksgiving game. Um, but, yeah, even the coaches got some time off. I mean, this is a different NFL, as we heard Stefan Diggs talk about this week when he was asked a question about mental health. He was like, hey, I did not come up in the NFL where we had two-a-days, um, where we just – worked and worked and worked it and we're always in the complex um way more than we are today uh so i think these guys do expect like a week off if they if they have the team that they currently have right now so hey sean mcdermott is undefeated coming out of bye week so i think he knows how to how to run this team with the players that he has right now Maddie Glab here joining me on the West, her hotline multimedia journalist for the Bills. You can check out her podcast, Pod Squad, uh, Bills Pod Squad, that is, and uh, wherever you find your podcast, I'm sure. Um, Maddie, I want to, you brought up Stefan Diggs, which it's like you're professional at this because that was actually going to be my next question for you. I was asked um, on a Toronto radio station this morning when I went on and was talking about this Bills upcoming Bills game and sort of the final stretch of the season here. Um, and I, I say final stretch, the second half. Uh, there are plenty of games to go. It's not the exact final stretch. But I think about Stephon Diggs, and the question I was asked, is there something wrong? Um, is there is Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs, like, are, are they not seeing things on the same page? Is there something more at play? Because I think I saw something along the lines, Maddie, of Stephon Diggs being on pace for 90 catches, like 1,100 yards and six touchdowns, which I guess when you consider his season last year at 127 catches, the most catches in the league and, like, the most yards, uh, like, maybe that's a little bit of a, of a, of a quote-unquote downside season but like I said this and and I wonder if you agree like he has yet to really hit that deep ball yet like the 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 kind of plays that we saw twice against the Patriots and against the Denver Broncos um and a couple other games last season where he just takes the top off a defense takes you know one catch 70 yards and a score that hasn't happened yet so I'm wondering are we just like one or two of those plays away from basically being exactly on track from last year or or do you believe that with the emergence of Dawson Knox and some of the other weapons in this offense that maybe he's just Josh Allen this is just providing some targets and spreading them out throughout the rest of the lineup and that this 90 pace this 90 catch pace is likely what we're going to see by season's end I mean, I think Stefan Diggs is still going to have the opportunity to break out this season. I do think there are going to be some games where they just rely heavily on Stefan Diggs, like they have with Cole Beasley and Emmanuel Sanders and Dawson Knox this year. But it was funny thinking back to like the beginning of the season and, and what this offense would look like this year. And, you know, we're all wondering, is Josh Allen going to take that step forward? What is Josh's connection going to be like with Steph this season? And I think a lot of us from the outside looking in, we're thinking like, okay, it's doable. They're going to take a step forward. Like Steph was insane last year, 127 catches, uh, over 1,500 receiving yards. What can he do this year? But, of course, defenses have tape on that. And the Bills are a smart enough offense, and Brian Dayball is a smart enough offensive coordinator to know we can't do the exact same things that we did last year. And we have – an amount of weapons on this team that other teams aren't blessed enough to have. And let's figure out how we can roll some new guys into this offense and see what works 
so that we don't have to rely on Steph every single game. And we have a new player like Emmanuel Sanders. How does he get woven in? Dawson Knox, his coming out party this year. Uh, what can Devin Singletary and Zach Moss add to the mix? Uh, when can Gabe Davis be used? When do we need to go to Cole Beasley in the slot, uh, in the flats with how good he is at mismatches? Same with Dawson Knox. Uh, so I do think that Steph Diggs may not have the season that he had last year just because of what the Bills had last year versus what they have this year. Dawson Knox was on the COVID list. He was hurt. Uh, we didn't have Emmanuel Sanders. So I think this offense looks just a little bit different than it did last year, and, and for good reason. Um, I think they were waiting for Dawson Knox to come out and, and do what he's done this year. Hopefully we get him back soon. But you look at offenses in the NFL who have that tight end who, who can wreck defenses and what Travis Kelsey has been able to do, what George Kittle has been able to do. That's a secret weapon for teams, and that has been a secret weapon for the Buffalo Bills to start the season. Cole Beasley was that last year. Um, he is such a mismatch, and he is so good in and out of his breaks. He's so tough to guard, and now we get Emmanuel Sanders woven into this offense. I just think it's like the coaches say, it's a game-by-game -game thing. How are the defenses going to play the offense? And so when there's an opportunity for Steph Diggs to shine, I think he is going to shine. I don't think there's anything wrong with him. I don't think there's anything wrong with his connection with Josh. I just think this year the offense can't look completely the same as last year or they would be in tougher situations and tougher games. I think they're smart to use different guys this year and try and weave different guys into different situations and different scenarios based on what the coverages are giving them. Okay, I got a, I got a good one for you to uncork here. Um, Bill's running game. What's going on? Is it the running backs? Is it the offensive line? I know it's been... It's been frustrating for me, you know, I think one of my halftime, you know, quote-unquote adjustments for last week was, I think, just abandon the run altogether, and I think we saw, and this was the most interesting part to me, Maddie, last week, is in crunch time, when the Bills needed that drive that they scored to essentially close the game out, you know what they did to get there. They threw the ball almost exclusively on that drive. They moved away from the run, so if the Bills in those situations are saying, even when we need to run the clock out a little and we need to go score... They're going to the pass, and I'm wondering where you believe this running game is going towards, and can they get better this year? Because they decided to essentially run back the same group last year, Maddie, at the offensive line, at the running back position. They bring Matt Breida. He has yet to really make any sort of impact on the season. Is the run game broken? And if the answer is yes, how can it be fixed? I don't think it's broken. I, I think this year you look at the offensive line, and I think we would have hoped that this would, been a, would have been a solid, healthy offensive line that would have stuck with the same five guys throughout the season because they were playing that well. We've seen some shifting. We've seen Spencer Brown come into the lineup. Um, guys have been hurt. And so every year I feel like we, we hope, oh, it's going to be the same five guys, and for whatever reason it hasn't been. Um, but they do have the depth in the offensive line to be able to go to guys like Ike Bucker to be able to maybe bring Cody Ford back into the lineup to see how it works this weekend. I think that's definitely a factor in how the run game has been able to perform. I mean, last year, the offensive line was great at pass blocking. Run blocking, game to game, maybe not so much. And so I, I think we're also seeing a little bit of that this season. Um, when you pass block all the time, 
And when you run block not as much, I, I think that's mm. going to play into your performance and, and how you do. Of course, there's no excuses, though. You're in the NFL, so you have to be good at run blocking and you have to be good at pass blocking. I look at the Jaguars' defense, and, and based on their stats, they're definitely a better run defense than they are a, a pass defense. I mean, the Jaguars ranked 28th against the pass, allowing almost 300 passing yards a game, whereas they rank 14th against the run, uh, allowing just over 100 rushing yards a game. So I don't know if this is going to be a game where we truly deploy Devin Singletary and Zach Moss. I feel like they'll be used when they need to be used, but this is a game, I think, where we see Josh Allen go off. I mean, Mm. their defense is allowing quarterbacks to complete an average of 74% of their passes and allowing quarterbacks (laughs) to put up a passer rating of 113.5. That is crazy numbers for quarterbacks. So I look at this game, and I think Josh Allen and his wide receivers are going to have a day. Um one thing that I look at with Devin Singletary and Zach Moss, though, is, is Devin Singletary's averaging. He has had some pretty big uh, runs this season, yep. but he's averaging 5.1 yards per carry. That's a pretty good number to have. That's up with the top 20, I want to say. Um, oh, yeah. James Robinson, James Robinson, who is questionable for this game for the Jaguars, he's averaging 5.5 yards per attempt, and that ranks fourth in the NFL. So that's a great number for Devin Singletary to have. Um Zach Moss has had a few rushing touchdowns. His yards per attempt average is is definitely a little bit lower than Devin Singletary. But I think also the story hasn't been written for these two yet this season. I'm interested to see how they're used when we get deeper into the season, when we face defenses that are really capable of shutting down the pass. And then we have to see, can the Bills do it with the run? Because they're going to be in a situation this year where that happens. I don't think we've, seen that yet this season but but it's going to happen and those that those guys are, are going to have to pop off yeah I, I like going with Singletary on first and second down inside or in between the 20s and then bringing Zach Moss in on third down I think I think Zach has actually done a very good job in the passing game this year I think it's been a new element to his game that he's been bringing and we know he's the better of the pass blocker of the two so third down makes sense for him and how they deploy this the rest of the season I, to your point about Singletary's yards per carry average I think the Bills should likely try to lean into that a little bit more if he's having success let's see him get some more carries than the seven um, that he had last week Maddie thank you so much um, for making time for me on your Saturday afternoon or late morning here. I really appreciate it. Tell the folks where they can find your work if for some reason they uh, they don't know where to find it. Yeah, of course. I tweet everything out so you can find me at MadGlab on Twitter and then anything on the Buffalo Bills website. Uh, that's where all my work goes. So you can find the podcast with Diana Rossini from this week on there and a couple other videos and articles that we've released. Thanks so much, Maddie. I will uh, I will catch you next week uh, when the Bills are back home, but uh, enjoy the game this weekend. Yes, you too. Thanks, guys. Awesome. Maddie Glab there. Uh, she is a multimedia journalist for the Bills. Of course, you can catch her on Twitter, at MadGlab. I'm Nate Geary, Derek Kramer. We're going to take two timeouts in a row here because I went way over. Shocker, shocker. Uh, and then Matt Perino, top of the hour, live from Detroit Airport because he's in a layover, and we're going to talk more Bills. What do you – what you is your you, face? You, you couldn't – you haven't done this in a while. Did you forget? Yes. You simpleton. Sports Talk Saturday goes on from here on WGR. All right. I, I promised Derek 
I promised Derek I'd be in and out of this segment, uh, but he couldn't even get my microphone on. So, you know, whose fault is this? I got to take a timeout because I went way over. I'm kick you. I, got, I went way over. We're taking a timeout. Other side, Matt Perino joins me live. We'll talk more Bills Jags. That's up next here on WG. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.